Today's episode is brought to you by MediShare, an innovative and affordable Christian alternative to health insurance. To learn more about MediShare and to find out how you could start saving hundreds of dollars per month on your health insurance, go to metashare.com slash churchpulse. That's metashare.com slash churchpulse. Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff here, and I'm joined as usual by David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Group. Hello, David. How's it going, Carrie Newhoff? Good. I'm kind of excited about 2022. I don't know why, but I feel like we're turning over a new leaf. That could be complete delusion, but uh, that's what I'm feeling. I'm here for your delusions. I'm in support. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's funny. I, I thought 2021 would be the year of the post pandemic church, and not really. Like we no. were sort of out of it, but not really. Uh, but I feel like 2022, we're going to normalize things and uh, I think people will either learn to live in it or with it at a greater level, or perhaps this thing will actually become an endemic. And uh, there's a lot of like even medical research being done into perhaps reducing the death rate on COVID. So it becomes truly more like the flu, et cetera. So I must say, having traveled a little bit over the last month or two, it's been uh, refreshing. I, I thought I was happy living in my backyard for a long time. And I am. It's a nice backyard, but it felt better than it should have to be back on the road. It was strange. Yeah, I know the feeling. I've been traveling quite a bit myself. And um, um, yeah, it feels like the airports are as busy as they've been and as I've ever seen them. And, you know, lots of people on planes and lots of people out and about. Obviously, some differences with masks and and hand sanitization, uh, but it it feels good. Uh, I've spoken the last couple months in front of some live audiences. I know you have, and I'm sure... For a lot of pastors who've been back, you know, able to speak in front of a live audience for for those of us that don't do regular week weekend week in and week out sort of preaching, you know, it's been a little longer for me. It was almost uh, nineteen months, I think, between my last in person mm. event in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, and it felt good. It felt a little rusty. Yeah, me too. My first one was a little like, "Woo, haven't done this for a while." Yeah, no doubt. And uh, so it does feel like there are some things that are you know, getting to be a more normal rhythm. We got a, something sort of booked in for middle, middle of next year to go overseas for my first international trip in a long time. And, wow. um, you know, we'll see where that all goes, but, but I'm, I'm mm. in agreement. That there's some, some signs that, you know, we're at least coming not to, to sort of the end of it, but to the new normal, um, you know, coming in close to now two years on this thing. Yeah. You know, and, and the funny thing is I find myself more grateful, more grateful for the little exchanges with the gate agent or the flight attendant or the server at a restaurant or even people at my house or people like it's been 19 months since I met a podcast listener, like outside of my normal, you know, 20 yeah. mile radius, but actually people I don't know. And that was, I've always enjoyed that, but it was even more exciting this time around. And I hope that doesn't wear off. I hope I hope gratitude increases as a result of what we've been through. I don't know. I yeah. hope that's a permanent impact of this moment in time. Yeah, fair enough. I, I hope I hope so too. Because usually you're a pretty ungrateful guy, so I think it's. I am it's nice very to, ungrateful, it's nice to David. See the kind of 
<laughs> finally something sinking in. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about loneliness, and maybe this is somehow all tied into that, but we have Dr. Matthew Kim with us today, and uh, we're excited to dive into a conversation. He's a professor of preaching and practical theology at Gordon-Conwell, and uh, we're going to talk about reaching people in pain, how to meet them, uh, especially as you reach the holiday season. And we're also going to share some research from, uh, well, a new book, The Loneliness Epidemic. you want to tell us a little bit about that, David? Yeah, I'm happy to. We've worked uh, for many years with a wonderful researcher, Dr. Susan Metis, and um, she's a, a Barna Fellow, and uh, she's worked on this book called The Loneliness Epidemic. Uh, listen, loneliness has, has slowly been rising over the last number of years as something of, of really a public health crisis. And then the pandemic hit, which is, you know, in, in some ways, people that um, were able to stay quarantined, there was ways in which they got closer with certain members of their family if they had a good, strong, stable family and household uh, with which to, to bond. But others became even more lonely. Um, as you mentioned, heading into the holidays, there'll be a lot of people experiencing loneliness in, in unique ways um, after the long shadow of the pandemic and just because of the nature of, of modern life. <clears throat> um, you know, let me give you a few stats. One third of U.S. adults felt lonely at least once, uh, at le least every day in the winter of 2020, and a majority had felt lonely in the past week. That means fully half of Americans are suffering in some way from loneliness. Um, even in the church, car car churchgoers were lonely about as frequently as Americans in general, and slightly more often than those who didn't go to church in the winter of 2020. Um, and a lot of pain related to loneliness. Three in five uh, Americans say the pain of loneliness is within a level of what they call intense or unbearable. Wow. Um, and so, you know, for those that experience lonely, loneliness, it can be just a defining part of their, of their experience. And so um, recognizing younger people are, are often, um, you know, um, some of the most likely to identify loneliness as a, as a challenge for them. Maybe there's some connections in with how social media makes us feel like we're either a part or not a part of, of other people's, mm. you know, lives. Uh, so those are some of the just just the raw brutal stats about that and and in the interview we'll be talking about lots of types of things that people experience not just loneliness but loneliness being one of the the, the most pervasive uh, experiences now and um you know what is it that we in our in our society and in our churches and our communities and our households can do uh really to bridge that gap to help people not just feel less lonely but to actually understand the roots of it and then to get to the the good hard work of you know, connecting people to the heart of God and to each other. Yeah. And, you know, these are the people we're trying to reach this Christmas. And I think that's so important. Uh, I know everything's kind of different right now, but for years, uh, we built up Christmas Eve to the point where it was our biggest outreach event of the year. And the thing to remember, because you can get lost in thousands of people showing up, right? But the thing to remember is every one of these people has a story. Some of them didn't even want to be there. They got dragged in by their spouse, by their parents, by their kids, whatever. And uh, I always love the possibility of the new stories that God writes starting on Christmas Eve. So, you know, as we head into the holidays, as pastors are polishing their messages, as people are praying, these are real people with real issues. And so, well, with that said, let's uh, dive into our conversation with Dr. Matthew Kim. Well, Matt, welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's so good to have you. Hi, Kerry. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, man, I'll tell you, you've just got a book on on um, preaching to people in pain. Obviously, as a professor and as a pastor, it's something you deal with on a regular basis. 
what are you learning? I mean, it seems like the 2,000-year-old, or <laughs> older than that, the theodicy question, right? If God is so good, why is there evil? Why do people suffer? That question never goes away, and it's raised in every generation. So what's what's your take on that? Like, what's your contribution to our understanding of God and pain? Mm. Well, that's a that's a big question, as you mentioned there. Um, <laughs> well, it's been two thousand years, but you're going to solve it right now. I know in about three minutes. So, well, let, let me let me try to give you one aspect. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about is how do we help community think about pain. So, mm. the, the question of, uh, am, you know, as a Christian, we often think that we're we're doing this alone, and and we're isolated. Uh, we're feeling alone. We're feeling like we're the only one going through this kind of suffering. And a lot of times, uh, you and I know uh, when we go to church, we put on our best face and we act like everything's fine. We we smile and we we say, how are you? And we expect a good answer. I'm doing fine. No complaints. Um, but you, we all know that behind the surface, we're, we're going through something. And every person that walks into the church or even views online is going through something. And I think in this season, the evil one is really trying to help uh, the church come to a, a, a place where uh, people are exceptionally feeling alone and isolated. And mm. he, wants, he wants us to feel like we're on this journey of, of Christianity uh, in isolation. So one of the things I think uh, can really help is to expose uh, some of the shame and uh, to be able to say, it's okay, we're, we're coming as we are, and we don't have to feel ashamed. And to have a sense of church community where we can just be ourselves and just come broken as we are. And that takes some time. It takes a, a culture shift a lot of times in churches. But that's something I think I hope I can contribute in this book is to help us realize that we're in this together. We're all broken. We're all going through something. And how can the com- community of Christians come together in this process? You know, that I'm really glad you tackled it from that angle because I know it has been talked about for thousands of years, but that feels like a little bit of a fresh take, particularly, you know, here we are at the tail end of a year that has, I would argue, been as bad or more brutal than 2020 was. And uh, I just met with a group of uh, like eight or 10 pastors for a week here in California. And, you know, one of the things I think we're all struggling with is that deep isolation, because even churches that are open now have a a dispersed congregation. So you've got people who are not comfortable, even in wide open states, people are still not 100% comfortable coming back to church, not because they've left. We've just been through 18 months, two years of isolation. Uh, Along that time, people have become more polarized, more fractious, more divided. How does that, like, I'd love your take on how does that fit into how people process their pain? Because I think we are in a cultural moment right now, and feel free to disagree. I'm just giving you my my theory where if that was a problem five years ago, it's a bigger problem today. Agree, disagree, and, and thoughts about that, Matt? Oh, absolutely. I think the contentiousness and divisiveness of our nation seems very acute right now. And one of the things mm. Yeah, I, I think you'll probably agree with me on this, is that one of the things we're struggling with as a culture and as a Christian body is to have empathy. We're so quick to mm. judge. We're not willing to listen. We just quickly go to, I'm right, you're wrong. And we put each other in little boxes and camps. And it's been very dif- uh, difficult for, I think, every Christian leader to think through, how do I 
I can't convince everybody to come to my side, or it's not even right that I, I want everyone to come to my side, but how do we dialogue? How do we have meaningful conversation? Mm. How do we build relationship in a culture that's so divisive? So uh, you're absolutely right. I think, I think Christian leaders are really struggling with extra things that uh, were not so at the surface uh, even a few years ago. And one of the things I struggled with as, as a pastor who led a church that probably had three or 4,000 active people call it home was what I would call compassion fatigue. So, you know, when I led a small church, it's like if someone got cancer, everybody knew. But when, you've, when you're serving three or 4,000 or 10,000 or hundreds, somebody's getting cancer every day or every week or every month. And there's almost always, I mean, if there was a, something involving a child, it felt different. But um, I don't want to say, because I'm not necessarily wired as a pastor, um, you know, I'm more of a leadership hat than a, than a shepherd guy. Uh, I'm sure there are some leaders out there who feel everything. Others have kind of gone numb, a little like doctors. You know, if you're, if you're diagnosing people every day, um, is, that, is that a factor? Like working, you, you train seminarians. So is that a factor? Like how, have you seen that in the field? And then what do you do about it if you find yourself in that place where you just feel a lack of empathy, as you say? Mm. Well, I think going along with that is not just empathy, but energy. We're, we're lacking energy. <laughs> so it's, yeah, you think yeah. about meeting that additional person, it's just, uh, uh, you, sense that, you, you sense that drain again. <laughs> um, One more thing on your list, exactly, right? That right. never ends. Yeah. That's right. And so mm. how do we deal with that as, or how do we address that as pastors? I think one of the things that I've been struggling through, and I talk about this in the book, is my own personal pain and suffering. And um, so listeners wouldn't know this, but for the last uh, eight, nine years, I've been struggling with chronic dizziness from a concussion. And every moment oh of the goodness. day, every moment of the day, I'm dizzy. And uh, what happened was I was playing basketball. If I can go into the story, if you don't mind, Carrie. Um, yeah, please, please. I was playing basketball one evening with my students. Um, this was about eight, nine years ago. And I got hit um, in the head of head with a ball at full speed. Uh, I didn't see it coming and it hit me on my left side. Uh, and eventually the doctors concluded that I had glaucoma, which hadn't been diagnosed. Uh, and that's why I didn't see the ball coming to, to hit my head. <sighs> and from that moment, I've been dizzy every waking moment of the day, uh, eight, nine years oh my now. Goodness. And so it's not, it's not vertigo. It's not a spinning sensation, but uh, my brain is always feeling like it's moving. And because of that, I'm, I'm always feeling on edge because uh, it takes a lot for me to do anything these days. Um, and so because of that, I think what's happened to me is God is slowing me down and he's uh, helping me to realize that it's not just about me going out and doing things. Sometimes he just wants me to be still. Um, but what it, what it has produced in me is this ability to listen to people more. Uh, I used to be very goal-oriented, type A. You know, I didn't want to be bothered. I had another thing to do on my uh, to-do list. And what this injury and long-term concussion has taught me is that I need to be able to just sit with people. And it's not just, mm. it's not just about accomplishing another task. It's about getting to know another person's story. What are they going through that I don't know about? Because when you look at me, Carrie, you're not going to say, oh, Matt struggles with chronic dizziness just by looking at me. No. But under the surface, I'm going through things. You're going through things that I don't know. And so as pastors and as Christians, how do we take the time to explore and hear other people's stories and hear about what's going on in their lives that 
uh, are not readily available to us just by looking at something. And there are other issues that I talk about in the book, um, other tragedies in my life that uh, that we've, we're, we're all going through as a culture. And people have different stories, different perspectives. Uh, and so physical health is just one area that I, I think has helped me slow down and think through, uh, how does God want me to treat another individual? Uh, how does God want me to listen to someone who might be in pain that um, he wants me to listen to right now? How how did you, or could you go through the journey of how you uh, came to that place where you could say, okay, in the midst of chronic dizziness, which really slowed me down and no relief from it every waking moment, um, you didn't just get angry, cynical, bitter, frustrated. Like, you know, I had a burnout that probably was life changing for me 15 years ago. And I can look at it back now with gratitude, but I got out of that burnout. And, you know, if I've, I've had a couple of injuries, I broke my hand earlier this year and then uh, had a bike crash. Maybe I should stop working out, but anyway, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, how quickly can I get back to normal? Right? Like that is my wiring. And you do hear tremendous stories of people, you know, I was, I was reading this morning about Eli Weissel from the second world war, who just saw horrible atrocities to his family, to his friends and these are people who survive and they process the pain. How did you do that in, in your life? Because I, I shudder to think of how I would respond in that mm. setting, Matt. Yeah, for me, it's, it's been up and down. Um, mm. some, days, some days I handle it well. Other days I, I want to give up, uh, meaning I want to I give up doing ministry. I'm just so tired, physically exhausted from the various responsibilities I have, uh, you know, they're all good responsibilities, good joys, um, raising a family, being a husband, um, you know, teaching my students, being a part of a church community. But uh, it takes, I feel like it takes 200% of my effort to just do menial tasks. And so there are certain days where I wake up and I've, I've gone through long seasons of depression. I've mm. gone through seasons where I just don't want to get, I don't want to get up because I know how much energy it's going to take for me to do the things I need to get done that day. And so uh, how do I handle it? I haven't overcome it <laughs> by any means. It's just a day, it's a daily grind, a daily struggle. And I, I commit, I commit myself to the Lord every day. And I say, Lord, uh, some, some days I don't get my words out. Some days I just sit here and have to just rest and, and know that God's with me. And other days he gives me the energy to do what I need to do. So it's to answer your question, it's, it's something that I just live with. It's something that I live with, and sometimes I accept it. Sometimes I'm I'm mad at God, and I don't understand why He won't relieve me. Um, and I, I'm sure our listeners are like that too. There there are certain things in their lives that they're going through, and they're questioning God. Uh, so we're we're in this together. Well, and this raises so many questions. I mean, we all know of, and I think most of us listening to this this podcast, if not all of us, would believe that God actually does heal people. Uh, I've seen it where people have been healed. I believe it. I'm not a discounter. I mean, you know, I, I want to make sure it's not some crazy person talking, but yeah, I believe God heals. And yet he doesn't do that for everybody as appears to be the case with you. How do you, how do you process that? How have you processed that personally? Like, okay, there's a healing over there, but hey, w- what about me, God? And I don't mean to trivialize that in the, in the slightest sense, Matt, but how do you process that theologically and personally? Yeah, well, uh, there, there are numerous people in Scripture that I think are people that I can connect with, 
So, for example, I, I look at someone like Bart, uh, Blind Bartimaeus in, in Mark's gospel. And, you know, I haven't lost my vision completely, but I've lost a lot of peripheral vision. And God hasn't um, relieved me of this uh, physical eyesight issue. But uh, there are people in scripture that we can connect with that before I, I was diagnosed with glaucoma, I didn't, I didn't recognize that these are real issues. Um, mm. You know, they're just, you know, that person's blind, that person's deaf, that person's mute or has leprosy. It's, it's just a, a theory. It's not real um, until, until you go through something similar. And so for me, what it's made me do is realize that um, I used to have, Carrie, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, I've, I used to have this phrase, uh, since I serve God, I should be exempt from suffering. <laughs> I've never articulated it, but it is not a foreign thought. Yes. Okay. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know well if said. others, have, well know if others have thought that, but in some cases I thought that in some moments of my life. And uh, what I've realized is that when I look at the gospels or look at anywhere in scripture, really, um, people are suffering. That's, that's just part of life. That's, that's part of being a part of the human condition of, of fallen worlds. And because of that, uh, Jesus doesn't promise any solutions for us or he doesn't promise any uh, miracles, uh, but he does promise us, for example, in John 16, 33, that you're going to have trouble, but take heart, be courageous for I have overcome the world. He gives us promises like that to reassure us that uh, there are going to be some things that happen out of our control. There are some things that are going to happen and God's going to permit it. And we don't understand why, but he's with us. Um, Psalm 23, in the valley of the shadow of death, he's, he is with us. Uh, there, are, there are crises and, and he is with us. And so he doesn't abandon us. Um, and so in my good moments, I can say that I, I look to scriptures um, and they comfort me. Hey, leaders, today's episode is brought to you by MediShare, an affordable Christian alternative to health insurance that saves typical families around $500 a month. That's a month. The past couple of years have reminded us that we should never take good health for granted. And we know that the cost of health insurance can be a significant financial stressor for leaders and for the families they serve. MediShare is a great alternative that has been helping Christians solve this problem for nearly 30 years. Through their services, MediShare members share in each other's medical bills and pray for one another. Over $1 billion was shared in the past year alone. Plus, Every member has unlimited access to free telehealth and virtual counseling sessions, a great resource for both leaders and members in your church. And like I mentioned earlier, the typical family on MediShare saves around $500 a month when they switch from their traditional insurance. As you're well aware, it's open enrollment season. That means right now, it's the best time to make the switch. So to learn more about MediShare and see how much you could save, Go to metashare.com slash churchpulse. Again, that's metashare, M-E-D-I-S-H-A-R-E dot com slash churchpulse. And now back to the interview. Well, I was going to say another real-time challenge a lot of people are going through and a lot of Christians, former Christians are going through is the deconstruction of their faith, right? It's in a moment like that where it's like, Lord, I prayed every day. I'm serving you. I'm doing my best. And this isn't working out the way I want. So I'm out of here. Like people have checked out under, under circumstances more intense and less intense, honestly, than what you're going through right now. Why, why have you hung in there, Matt? I know that, I know that God loves me personally. 
I've, I've experienced his faithfulness. Um, another tragedy that I haven't shared with you yet, and maybe it would come up in a different question, but let me just address it here, is that uh, six years ago, my younger brother was brutally murdered in the Philippines. And, so sorry. and it's something that uh, is another part of my life that I, I really wrestle with God's love for my family. And, you know, the, the, the case wasn't resolved. In, in fact, um, just a month, a month into looking into it, uh, the Filipino government cl- closed the case because of corruption. And oh. even though we had private investigators and everything, they, they closed the case and called it an accident. Um, but my youngest brother and I flew out to the Philippines uh, to collect his body. And we knew without a doubt it was foul play. And he was um, murdered because of his wealth. He was just doing really well financially. And that's another aspect of my life where I, I do question God sometimes. And mm. you know, I've come to terms with more of it, you know, six years removed now. But why do I hang in? I, I hang in because, because I know Jesus is real. And I know that um, not just in thought, but in experience, um, I've, I've tasted the goodness of the Lord. I've, I've seen him work in my life, even though I don't deserve it. I, I've felt regeneration in my life. I've felt sanctification. I've felt these big words that we talk about in the church. Um, but it's a, a daily surrender to Christ. Um, I, I think sometimes we're, we're so quick to want a quick solution to everything. And he wants, uh, you know, as, as Eugene Peterson said, that that long obedience in the same direction, what does that look like for the believer is for us to be able to just remain close to him mm-hmm. so that even if I lose my eyesight, even though I'm dizzy for the rest of my life, I have lost my brother to a tragic murder. He's with me and, and I can count on him to know that uh, even in the hardest parts of pastoral ministry, even in the hardest parts of being a professor now, he's with me. And that gives me uh, a sense of joy, a sense of comfort, a sense of peace that, as he promised, this world can't offer. So that's, that's where I get my source of encouragement. And I'm not saying that uh, I feel like this every, every moment, but it, it, it is in my best moments where I rely on these truths. Oh, I'm so sorry about your brother and the, the personal challenges you've had, Matt. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, Barna just released a few weeks ago uh, a new survey where uh, we surveyed pastors and we asked them, you know, how many of you have seriously thought about leaving ministry? Not your church, but the ministry um, in the last year. And that number a year ago was 29%. Now it's 38%. So the uh, dial has gone up on discouraged pastors who are seriously thinking about quitting. Um any word to them on, you know, if they were sitting here with you in your office or going for coffee or dinner, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, I would want to hear why they feel the way they do. What, what are the specific challenges that they've been going through? And so it's hard for me to, uh, I think in most things, give a universal answer to everybody. Um, it'd, be, it'd be helpful for me, first of all, to, to sit down with them and ask them what have been their challenges. Uh, why do they want to give up? Um, what are their particular needs in this season? Why do they feel discouraged or burned out or wanting to leave? Um, once, once we hear their story, I think we'll be able to provide 
at least uh, a framework for our own minds of how we can try to encourage them uh, in their in their discouragement. Um, I, I, I can sense why 38% or probably more pastors would want to leave ministry right now. It's, 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 um, it's, a, it's a season where people are not seeing results. People are, are losing. They're putting in more effort and not seeing results. And, and people are not coming to church. They don't see people on a, on a screen. Uh, it's, it's just very a, a very challenging time to do ministry. And so... Uh, my encouragement would be remember the call. Mm. Remember the call that the call is uh, a lifelong call. I believe that God calls us to ministry full-time uh, in some capacity. It could be pastoral ministry. It could be some other kind of ministry, but the call remains the same uh, in terms of God calling you to a, a specific ministry for his purpose for a season. Um, and sometimes the, the call will change. It'll pivot. For example, from me going to from pastoral ministry to teaching, that that's a, a different kind of ministry. Um, but for others who want to give up ministry entirely, I, I would say, why did you first accept the call? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it that first drew you to to obey Christ in this way? And to be able to hear that, uh, hear their response to that, and and just to remind them that uh, there are going to be seasons of of great difficulty in ministry. And we've all gone through them. Um, we've all had people turn our backs, th- th- their backs on us. And we've all had um, just difficulty after difficulty and conflict. And so uh, just, to, just a reminder to remember the call and to feed into that call and be reminded of it and have uh, fellow believers who are leaders in the church surround them with prayer and encourage them, uh, pray with them. Um, and if that's not enough, I, I would say, uh, find some spiritual direction in terms of go, go to a mentor and ask them, uh, why do I feel this way? Or, or explain, you know, why I feel like uh, quitting ministry right now and have them speak into your life words of truth and affirmation uh, and encouragement and, and pray for you. Uh, and so these are some things that immediately come to mind as you ask the question. No, I think your counsel to uh, listen first is really good. Having been on the road a little bit lately and hearing people's stories in person, like actually in person, not via Zoom, has been so refreshing. And I think a lot of it is the isolation has probably led to deeper discouragement. In other words, all I get is complaints and I don't get a lot of validation and I can't um, share everything I'm processing with people around me because I serve them, right? So I think Again, back to isolation. Uh, that's really sage advice. So you've got a new book. It's called Preaching to People in Pain. And you talk about nine questions, Matt, that move pastors from the hermeneutics of pain and suffering to practical homiletics. Can you highlight one or two of those moves? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that uh, I don't want to try to convey is that every sermon needs to be about suffering and pain. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not what I'm trying to communicate. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. But as you, but there's a lot it, out there. Mm-hmm. There is a, there is a lot and, and a lot of opportunities for it. But uh, one of the things I'd like for us to think about is what type of pain or suffering is is revealed in the text that I might be able to talk about and connect uh, my listeners to. So it's not that I'm trying to read into the text and do eisegesis and say, yeah, I think I'm going to imagine it. Uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. create this um, suffering that's not there. But if there are Bible characters uh, who are going through some kind of trauma or suffering. Why not at least acknowledge it? And then, and then once we acknowledge it, be able to say, who in the room is suffering like this? 
uh, are there any people in the room who are going through similar trials? Um, so that would be one question that I would want to ask. The second one would be, how can we share this pain in Christian community so that no one feels isolated or alone? And if I can give a quick example of this, I was preaching at a church one time, and I was sharing how my brother had been murdered. Uh, it was part of a, a, a series um, that I was invited into talking about pain. And after the service, uh, an older lady came up to me and just started weeping. And I asked her why. And she said, two years ago, my daughter had been murdered. And I never knew that any Christian leader or Christian uh, speaking from the pulpit would ever address this issue in my life. And here you are, a guest preacher, and you've gone through something very similar. You've lost someone to murder uh, in this way. And for the next, I'd say 10, 15 minutes, uh, this was pre-COVID, I just gave her a hug and we were weeping together in the sanctuary, praying for each other. Um, she's not alone. I'm not alone. Mm. And, and we, need, we need the body of Christ uh, to be able to mourn and weep and lament together. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, is there, is there an opportunity for us to, to take time in the service or beyond the service to be able to share our pain in Christian community so that we can be healed and transformed um, so that I don't have to feel alone in, the, in, in my walk of, of difficulty and, and pain? So um, those are just two questions and there are others, but I think those might be helpful in terms of framing our conversation today. Boy, that is, you know, and that points to community again. Because one of the things I wanted to ask you, having preached for 25, 30 years myself, is you work really hard on a sermon on suffering. I work really hard on that. And then you you give it a series, you give it a weekend, whatever. And you think, okay, I think I've answered a lot of questions. And I've had the experience where people almost come up to you after, and this is a bit of hyperbole, but not a lot, who said, that was a really great message. But let me ask you a question. If God is so good, why is there suffering? And you're like, I just spent 45 minutes like trying to give you the best explanation I could. And, you know, there is no emotionally satisfying answer to that. But um, any thoughts on preachers who have, I call it one of the inexhaustible subjects. Um, you know, I had three or four. Um, you could talk about relationships all the time. You could talk about suffering all the time. And I think increasingly you can talk about anxiety all the time. And it seems like that's a bottomless pit. Um, advice, thoughts to preachers who are trying to tackle that homiletically on mm. pain and suffering? Yeah, that's a great question. The people who are who are leaving and giving that jab, <laughs> uh, I, I would say usually they have some kind of story behind their question. And it's usually the skeptics and those who have gone through different tragedies or traumas in their life that haven't been clearly answered and don't have an answer sometimes. They're the ones who are wanting to give you a hard time because uh, your sermon, as, as magnificent as it was, hasn't answered their deep question or, or their deep problem. It hasn't addressed their problem. So for me, uh, I was thinking about that. And the people who have approached me or, or said those kinds of things to me, usually what I'll do is uh, I'll, just, I'll just take them out for coffee or a meal and I'll ask them what their story is. T tell me about your life. Um, and as they share, usually some, some kind of deep-seated need will come up about something they've gone through or are currently going through. And it's, it's a pain that is so deep, and, and no sermon can ever answer that pain. Mm. 
Well, this has been good advice. Anything else you want to tell leaders as we get ready to face another year together and go through Christmas and uh, all that, all the uncertainty that's ahead? Mm. Well, I just want to know, uh, want them to know, and want you to know that uh, I pray for pastors. Uh, I, I regularly pray for pastors, and I, I know that pastors are going through a really hard time. And I just want to let you know that there are people out there who love you and care for you, and. Uh, even though your church members may not always have the best gift of verbal affirmation, uh, there are many people who do appreciate your ministry. So please hang on for the sake of Christ. And I pray for you that you would have um, his presence, his joy, uh, and, and ultimately that uh, reward that will, will hopefully come to all of us if, we're, if we remain faithful, that um, we'll be able to see him face to face and uh, it'll all be worth it in the end. Well, uh, so grateful. Uh, Dr. Matt Kim is the George F. Bennett Professor of Preaching and Practical Theology at Gordon-Conwell. And prior to that, uh, was lead pastor of a church. Uh, His book is Preaching to People in Pain. It was released a few months ago by Baker Publishing. And uh, thank you for being with us today. Well, uh, that was a great conversation with Dr. Matthew Kim. David, it's, uh, you know, been a challenging year for everyone, but over the last two years, you've had been through one of the hardest passages that anybody could have been through, losing your wife, Jill, and going through that horrible transition. I can't even imagine. What have been a few lifelines for you personally over these last few years? What has helped you process the pain? Well, certainly good friends, counselors, therapists, spiritual directors, people, my kids, um, my family, extended family, my siblings, um, good friendships, um, you know, um, also, you know, beginning to think about life going forward. My wife was sick mm-hmm. for a long time. So, you know, the idea of moving forward in life has been one of the, the really, you know, f- fun parts of, 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 uh, you know, the idea of, of, of moving forward, you know, and so that's been good. But um, yeah, I think this interview was so helpful and this, the full range of experiences that people have, you know, I'm single and never expected to be. Um, and it's been a re- good reminder uh, for, for me um, now for more than a year being single of um, people that experience unwanted singleness and how so much of our ministry is, is oriented towards the married set and the people that have kind of a, a, even married people can experience the loneliness, but there's this real sense that I'm seeing and understanding, you know, what it's like to be a, a, sing, a single person in America today and in, in, in the church. Um, and so all of that, that comes with that. And um, so, you know, I think we've been saying for a while now, this idea that especially young people, but across our whole society, the church needs to be emotionally connected to the issues that people face mm. and mm. the words you choose, the songs that are sung, the ways we talk about, you know, victory in the Lord, but also the pain of of loss and setbacks and things that didn't go as planned. Um, the full range of those emotions are going to be showing up, you know, certainly on Christmas Eve, and they'll certainly be showing up in the various ways that your church uh, ministers to people. So just being aware of that, and and then asking the Holy Spirit to uh, come alongside um, you as you minister. Um, you know, for me, one of the greatest sources of of light and life has been the Scriptures and journaling and the sense that god actually sees and knows he's been very close to me in this season of of sort of loss and then now in sort of moving forward and um yeah i can't really express more strongly just how much god is near to the brokenhearted so it's not the job for us as church leaders to conjure up the right words the right strategies the right 
words on a poster or, you know, just like the right moment with the right chords being played. Those aren't unimportant. It's just that we, we believe there's a real creator who actually wants to speak into the hearts of people. Uh, let's make sure we make room for that as we're, as we're planning and thinking about our, our ministry this season. Hmm. It's really, uh, really moving, David. Thank you so much for sharing that and a good hope as we head into Christmas for everyone. Well, we're praying for you, pastors, church leaders. We're with you. We're in your corner. We'll be back next time with a fresh episode. If this has uh, been meaningful to you, please share it with your team, share it with a colleague, share it with a friend, and let us know on social media. Also, thanks to MetaShare. That helps us bring this to you week after week. Go to metashare.com slash churchpulse and calculate your cost savings and see how much you could be saving on health insurance by switching to their services. That's just metashare.com slash Church Pulse. And we'll catch you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.